Welcome to Lutheran Weekly. First off, sorry about the delay in this episode, which is actually supposed to be last week's. We hit a scheduling conflict on the interview, so as a show of good faith, I'm sending this episode out to all of you absolutely free, as opposed to our other episodes, which are, well, free. Anyway, next week's episode, which will be released this week, will be available on time for sure, since it's actually already recorded. Confused? Back it up and listen to it again. You'll be even more confused. One other note before we begin. The interview that you're going to hear in this episode is actually the second interview that I've had with our guest. The first interview, I forgot to hit the record button, and so we had to do the whole interview again. And so, Ty, I really want to thank you for your patience and your willingness to do the interview again. Anyway, on with the show. You hear about Muslims every day on the news, but how much do you really know about them? Today on Lutheran Weekly, we'll take a look at Islam and how to communicate the gospel to your Muslim neighbors. We also revisit an old suggestion of the week with some exciting news, and we offer a tech tip that can save you more money than Geico. When I say Muslim, what comes to mind? Let me guess. Turbans, sand, and AK-47s. We pray for our soldiers almost weekly, but how often do we pray for the Muslim people, be they terrorists? or peace-loving people who are embarrassed by the extremists of the Middle East. Today we have with us Tyrone Brumwell, a missionary to the Muslims as part of Pablo, people of the book Lutheran Outreach. Welcome, Ty. Thank you. Could you start out by giving us some insight into the general Muslim perception of Christianity? That all depends on how much experience they've had with Christians. From a Muslim point of view, uh, Christianity as a basis is a uh, corrupted religion. In other words, God has sent prophets not only to uh, the Jewish people of the Old Testament, but he also sent uh, Isa, that is Jesus, to uh, uh, with the gospel uh, to Christians. However, over time, these things have been corrupted, and it was Muhammad who came with uh, the final revelation of God to man. And so, therefore, we're viewed as kind of a, uh, oh, I, I hate to use the word cult, but as kind of a, uh, a deceived religion, a religion that isn't that finds its fulfillment in Islam if we were to follow after Islam. So kind of like the way we would view a sect um, like uh, Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses. Absolutely, absolutely. We, uh, well, actually, actually it's almost reversed uh, when it comes to Islam. Islam is very similar to organizations such as uh, the uh, Mormons and such where a, a new prophet has come, we have a new revelation, we have a new set of scriptures, okay. and us, we're just kind of the uh, the old corrupted group. How these these other groups, like the Mormons, that would view us is very similar to how Islam, in a general way, views us as Christians. Okay, all right, so maybe the way that we would view uh, Judaism. Yes, absolutely, except for we wouldn't go so far as to say that uh, their scriptures are corrupted, simply well, that yeah, that's their view isn't quite... Uh, Understandable, and another view that that uh, Muslims have, at least in some countries, is that when they see Hollywood, they hear that America is this is a Christian nation. Then they see some of the stuff that comes out of Hollywood. And, you know, it's, it's it's even embarrassing to us, you know, as, as Americans. But uh, they don't they would therefore associate Christianity with Hollywood. Hmm. So, could you tell us about your background in Muslim evangelism? What kind of schooling or training do you need? Well. I originally started off 
uh, after I got out of high school, I joined the military. After military, I got out and uh, got into uh, real estate. And after a while, getting ready to start my own brokerage, uh, I realized that this wasn't uh, uh, what I wanted to do. And my original plan was to go down to uh, St. Louis and attend the seminary there and uh, become a pastor somewhere here in the U.S. Um, so I went to the University of Iowa to finish up my undergrad, and I got my undergrad in uh, ancient civilization with a minor in philosophy. And during that time, I mostly studied Buddhism and Hinduism and uh, a large amount of Eastern religions. And then, uh, about a year before I got out, um, Pablo uh, came about and uh, was brought to my attention, and I got to know these gentlemen. And they, uh, last June, was it June 2004, they invited me to uh, come on board and head up the uh, Muslim missions here in Iowa. And Pablo now is the, is as far as I know, the only Muslim mission here in Iowa. And after that, uh, they took me up for intensive training. And Pablo believes highly that uh, education does not end. They require their missionaries to uh, attend uh, Fort Wayne Seminary uh, to be enrolled there. Uh, I'm expected to graduate here this uh, this May or June with my last classes. And after that, we're expected to continue on with our education. So you're not ordained then? No, I won't be uh, an ordained minister till after May. Now, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the history and the structure of Pablo? Well, basically, around 1993, some local churches in Dearborn, Michigan, realized that there was a large Muslim population there. And they decided to start a, a mission to these Muslims. And so they called in a missionary, uh, Randy Duncan, and he started off and then pretty soon they realized that they were in over their head because Dearborn, Michigan has the largest population of Muslims outside the Middle East. And so then they started calling in people from uh, the Middle East, Farouk Khan and uh, Karam and uh, and others. And since then that uh, Pablo just kind of exploded all across the board. We're, we're in everywhere from California to Texas to Ohio to Michigan. We in Iowa, Canada. In 2003, we went international. And now we're in countries such as Afghanistan, Bangladesh, uh, India. India, we have, I believe we're running six orphanages. And last June, when I, when I came on board, we just sent our second missionary to Afghanistan. Recently, six months ago, uh, we started a, uh, a school in Bangladesh. And from my understand now, it has planted two congregations already in the last six months. It's, uh, quite phenomenal. In fact, in the 2004 convention, Lutheran World Missions, this is the first, even though they have partnerships with like 20 different organizations, mm-hmm. this is the first time that they've actually turned over all church planting responsibility to another organization for an entire culture group, and that, that organization was Pablo. Wow. But the interesting thing about Pablo is not the fact that they're exploding, and it's not the fact that they're dealing with Muslims, though these two are very important things. The interesting thing is the organizational structure of Pablo, and this attracted me drastically, having been in a a corporate culture for so long. Most corporate cultures are a pyramid shape where you have the CEO at the top, and then the CEO would set the tone and so forth, and, and everybody else is therefore following this direction. With Pablo, it's the exact opposite. It's an upside down triangle. And at the, at the, at the, at the tip of this pyramid down below is, uh, Pablo places the, the highest amount of empowerment at the lowest possible levels. Therefore, the missionaries who are working in the field 
the volunteers that we have. We trust them to do their job. And what we do is we ask them, what do you need? You know your area better than we do. You're in Iowa, you're in California, you're in Texas. All these places are different. You tell us what you need and we'll go and get it. And so the lowest possible level asks for help and everybody else scrambles to get it for them. Huh. That's just a, it was just, it's just an amazing setup. When I, when I was working at uh, Wendy's in college that we had had something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's interesting that, uh, that you mentioned Wendy's. I, my, uh, at the University of Iowa I had a Greek professor who, uh, when he was going through school, that's that's where he worked. Oh yeah. Yeah. How do the Muslims that you know uh, react to the violence, the suicide bombers, the terrorists in the Middle East? This is a, this is a tricky this is a tricky subject. Of course, you know we get all uh, a variety of of viewpoints on this, but as a general rule, uh, we don't comment so much on the Middle East crisis because we have missionaries in the heart of the crises. Sure. So we have missionaries in Afghanistan, missionaries in Pakistan, in India, and if uh, if we start commenting on what we think is right or wrong, that can that can cause problems for our missionaries. Sure, sure. Do they ever make comments by their own, you know, just sort of bring it up or whatever? Or do they? The people that I work with, yeah, you? absolutely. I mean, I get uh, I get some comments from. Uh, there was a gentleman by the name of Kazi that I met in uh, in Arabic class that I took. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was really worried about himself, about what kind of impression uh, these things will have on Americans when they see him. And he was always nervous about uh, some sort of retaliation going on with him. And, of course, we have, uh, we have other situations that uh, some people who believe that with understanding will come peace. And, you know, they're trying to form some sort of peace movement that we all worship the same God and, and uh, so you get you get a you get a, a potpourri of of responses in regards to uh, this conflict. Sure, sounds like a lot of fear. Yeah, absolutely, and it goes back all the way to uh, the Crusades. I mean, the Crusades are very much well for us. The Crusades are something that happened in the past, uh, a different people way back when. But for a lot of Muslims, this is a very real thing, and it's still very real today. It, it has to do with the their understanding of what forgiveness would be. It's it's quite a complicated issue. So when a family member becomes a Christian, what kind of reactions have you seen with as far as their family's reactions to that? It was it's kind of like a what Muslim uh, what the Muslim perception of Christianity is. If they're kind of a Western Muslim family, they they've come to America, they've been living in America for twenty thirty years. Uh, depending on the family, uh, much depending on like, Christian families as well, what kind of reaction it is. You can get reactions from uh, being ostracized, being kicked out of their house. I had a uh, my wife had a uh, good friend who's um, who when she came to the U.S. when she became a Christian, uh, she had to go on a run for her life. Uh, her uncles came over to uh, to kill her, and uh, and she went into hiding, and she's in hiding to this day. Really? Yes, and. We have other people that, uh, I remember Karam Khan, international director of Pablo, telling a story of, uh, how a gentleman who became a Christian and became baptized and how when he told his family, his brother broke his arm and they had to call the police and, uh, and pull him out of there. It's, uh, other times you may, you may find if it's, if it's not so devout family that they may just say, yeah, well, we all worship the same God anyway. So it's, uh, there's a wide spectrum of responses. Could you share some common misconceptions about Islam? I think the biggest one out there is that all Muslims are devout Muslims. 
you know, you've heard, you hear catchphrases in Christianity like like a cafeteria Catholic, you know, someone who just does who's Catholic only in name. Well, there are a lot of Muslims that are that are quite the same way, and I think a, a lot of people don't understand that the word Muslim carries a much wider connotation than just a, a simply a religious group. Uh, a good friend of mine who's down in Dallas, Texas, is uh, uh, Pastor Kareem Baidawi. Put it to me this way: He came to the came to the airport and. He ran into another Pakistani guy. Of course, they were in the uh, the extra security section, but they started talking, and he found and the other guy found out he was uh, he was attending a pastor's conference. And the other guy's response was, "But you're Muslim. You're you're from you're from Morocco," uh-huh. and uh, it's kind of like saying you're an American. Okay. You know, it's kind of a common cultural thing that binds you. You're all Muslim. In fact, some uh, people who have become Christians and have uh, received faith have still at times referred to themselves as Muslim, even though it's not used in a religious context. Another uh, common misconception about Islam is that uh, most Muslims are Middle Eastern, and that's that's a common uh, misperception. That's not the case. In fact, I was looking at an article in National Geographic, I think it was last January, they started breaking down the population of Muslims here in the U.S., there there's estimated between somewhere between six and seven million here in the U.S. and only 26 percent are Middle Eastern. In other words, are African, South Asian, the Indonesian uh, population uh, just makes up a huge amount of the uh, number of Muslims worldwide. Another misconception is that that a lot of people have is that the Quran and the Bible are very similar. With the Bible that we have. We have some sort of semblance in order. We we start in Genesis and we end with Revelation. There's 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 some sort of semblance of order there. But with the Quran, it's quite a different story. I mean, they're not uh, scholars are kind of in disagreement of of what goes where. It's a verse here and a verse there, kind of all put together. Really? And so yeah, it's a it's there's quite a big uh, quite a bit of difference. And another misconception that some people sometimes have, especially dealing with Pablo, is that Muslims are not planning to come and blow up your church if Pablo comes to speak there. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I kid you not, this is, uh, uh, sometimes we get some, uh, Muslims are not planning on blowing up your churches in your area. That's, uh, that's something that, uh, is very important to understand. So are there specific aspects of Christianity that particularly appeal to Muslim converts to Christianity that maybe other Christians might take for granted? Oh, yeah. Besides having the truth of the gospel confirmed in your life, bringing you peace, that in itself is, is of course, something that, that Muslims don't understand. And, and it's something that we as people who have been Christians all their lives take for definite granted. I mean, that's a... It's something that we're so used to, you know, we, we don't even pay attention to it. But for a Muslim, if you lead a good life, if you pray five times a day, if you, you know, rakat, zakat, you know, giving charity and so forth, the problem is that even on the day of judgment, if you've done all these things, God can still send you to hell. If his whim that day is to send you to hell, you can't do anything about it. And of course, uh, if God wants to send us as Christians to hell, we can't do anything about that either. However, the assurance that comes from faith in Jesus Christ is something that is so peaceful to the people who have come to Christianity that that is the overwhelming thing. A friend of mine once told me, can you imagine praying to God five times a day and not having anyone answer you? And after a while, you start to get desperate. And the peace and assurance that comes from God's Word, the Bible, and the salvation is a huge comfort. And uh, another thing that... uh, is actually having the Word of God in your 
in your own personal language as being an okay thing. For instance, no Muslim will say will take a uh, English translation of the Quran and say this is the Quran. It has to be in Arabic. And we understand that the word of God supersedes all language barriers. Right. And so we translate it into Arabic, Farsi, Hindi, Urdu, uh, the works. Now, can you imagine spending your life not understanding Arabic and reading a translation of it and people telling you that you can't really understand it unless you understand Arabic? There's a, there's a piece that comes from just the Bible being in someone's hands in their own language, in their, in the, in their heart language, yeah. in the language of their heart that makes a difference. Are there any stories you'd like to share from your experiences in Muslim evangelism? One thing, in fact, going back on a point, something that we take for granted too is that we, we can't underestimate the power of God's Word. In fact, one of the best things I suggest that people do when dealing with Muslims and, and talking to them and well, sharing it with anyone, whether it's you know, the uh, Jehovah Witnesses or the Mormons and such, if you were to take, uh, in dealing with uh, Islam, if you were to read a section of the Quran, let's say you take you were to read a section of the Quran about hell, and then you were to read a section from the Bible about hell, there is a big difference. And it's not just content. The power that comes through God's Spirit through His Word makes a huge difference. And reading the Quran and the Bible side by side is, is, is a great way to get the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing of the Word of God. That's the best way to reach people. Experiences in, in Muslim uh, evangelism. A lot of people, when they come to the U.S., they've been here 20 years. And Gary Rauer once told me that uh, he had a couple out there who had been in the U.S. for like 10 years, 15 years. And he said, you are our only friend. And this isn't just limited to California. This is everywhere. I have uh, I have people that call me up. And, you know, one guy, uh, Shaban, he's been here for 20 years, and he calls me up just out of the blue, and he says, hey, you know, I'm just calling to check and see how you're doing. No, he doesn't have very many friends, and, and when he calls, there's a huge need there that has yet to be met. Don't be afraid to, to reach out to the immigrants. You know, they, they, are, they are desperate for friends. Not just someone who's going to go and say, introduce themselves, by the way, you know, do you know about Jesus? And, oh, hey, yeah, my name is Mark. You know, mm-hmm. become their friends. Be real with them. Be relational with them and make them your friends unconditionally. Whether they come to faith or not, the importance is to reach out to these people because when you have a relationship with them and when you share the gospel with them, it will make a world of difference. There's a huge difference between having a relationship, having a good friend and sharing the gospel with him and having a, having someone on a street corner that you just meet that you just handed a track to. There's a huge huge difference between those two things. When you act like this, when you act real with people, amazing things will happen. I have uh, one story with uh, a gentleman, his name was Antonio. I was setting up a computer program for him to help him with it, with his English and so forth. And as I was setting it up in his broken English, he goes, you know, you're helping this person and this person and this person. And he's seen a lot of what we do. And he goes, you know what? You're just going to go straight to heaven. But me, I'm not helping anyone. I'm going to go straight to hell. What better opening do you have than that, to share the gospel, faith alone, grace alone, scripture alone, it it just doesn't get better than that. Or, uh, I just wrote an article for the uh, Pablo Minaret, our our newspaper publication, and Augustine, after an ESL class, he he sat down, I could tell he was a bit agitated, and, and he sat down with me, and he goes, why are you helping people? Why? And to be able to tell him in 20 minutes the love of Jesus Christ and God's reconciliation with man that comes through Jesus Christ alone and the difference it has made in my lives and the lives of other people. You know what he said? As he stood up to leave, he goes, I want to talk with you more about that. And he walked out the door. Those are the moments that you pray for. Those yeah. are the 
those are the moments that you hope for, that you wish for, and that they do come. But they come when you have a relationship with people. And those are, he took my words and he thought about them. In fact, I had, I had a, right before uh, you gave me a call, I was talking to it and helping him uh, with some other issues. But, uh, you know, in, in the, just to, I don't want to take too much of your time, okay. but I had a, uh, a lady come to me when I was, uh, uh, she found out I was going to be helping him. And you know what she said? She said something that was just life-changing for me. She said, are you only going to help him until he find out he's not going to be a Christian and then you're going to dump him just like everybody else? Or are you going to be different? Ouch. Ouch is a big word that I was hurt. And it's true. Christians have a tendency not to, they have a tendency to come up to people and get really energetic and, hey, here's Jesus. Look at Jesus. It's, it's great. It's the answer. And the truth is they're right. But when this person puts up resistance, what happens? They're dropped. This person is resistant. I did my job. See you later. When you make these people your friends, friends are not somebody who, who who you drop off at, you know, like a taxi. Friends are someone who 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 stay with you for life. That people can call you up and can share your your needs and concerns with you. When you have people that drop you like that, those aren't friends. When mm-hmm. you make people unconditionally your friend, it makes a big difference. Don't make people into uh, merit badges. Yes, that's a great way. You know, this isn't the Girl Scouts. You know, it's uh, it's not the Boy Scouts. This is this is serious business. This is eternity we're talking about, and uh, it's too important. Well, you said people are looking for friends, and um, and you know, this is so true for uh, any kind of outreach, not just to the Muslims or anything like that, mm-hmm. where you can accomplish so much more through just not trying to force it, not trying to follow some kind of outline or program or whatever. Mm-hmm. Several books out there to do that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> but instead, just being a friend. Opportunity comes, take the opportunity, but don't make the opportunity the, the focus of everything. Of the relationship. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, Some people don't understand that. Sometimes it does uh, more damage than it does good for the cause of Christ. Oh, absolutely. So for our listeners who have Muslim friends, what advice would you offer them in sharing the love of Jesus with their friends? Well, like we were talking before, sir, it's uh, be real. Become their friends. Because when, be, when, when you become friends with someone, they see your life. And friends see your life better than, than anyone else. And because they're there when you deal with troubles, they're there when you deal with problems, and they see how you deal with things. And uh, these relationships are powerful. And, and don't be afraid to... Uh, I'll speak up with the gospel. Share. Feel free, after you've established a relationship with someone, to share a Bible with them. Pablo uh, here in Cedar Rapids has got, I think the last time I checked, I think we got like 15 or 20 different languages uh, in uh, Bibles. Mm-hmm. So uh, feel free to give us a call. And uh, people donate money to allow us to, to maintain this collection for people so that when they need it, we can get the Bible to people. Because the Bible is what is important. Is the Bible is is through the hearing and reading of God's word that faith comes. That actually leads to my uh, next question. If people would like more information about Pablo or Muslim evangelism in general, uh, where would you point them? One thing I can point them to is is our our office here in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Uh, my uh, uh, we're we're located in the basement of Trinity Lutheran Church. Uh, phone number area code three one nine three six two one nine one five. And feel free to churches. If churches are interested in starting ESL classes or, or reaching out in general evangelism and such. 
Uh, other than that, you can uh, visit our website at www.pablo.org, and uh, feel free to give any of us, uh, any missionary, a call. We'll be glad to help you out. Okay. Anything else you'd like to add? No, that's it. Thank you for uh, the time that you've taken for the interview. And now it's time for the product, the product suggestion, suggestion of the week. I have another rerun this week, but expanding on it, and with some news. In a previous podcast, I mentioned a church history radio show style podcast. Well, right after Christmas, I'm hoping to get to work on just that. The working title is The Tale of the Cairo. Now, Cairo is a Greek word for a specific time or event, but in this podcast, Cairo is more like kangaroo, but instead of hopping around Australia, it hops through time. Pop over to our forums at lcmspastor.com slash forum if you'd like more information or to help out. We need musicians, artists, sound effects people, and voice work. You don't need to be a professional, so pop over and take a look. This week's tech tip is one word, Skype. That's S-K-Y-P-E. If you have a broadband connection, check out this program. It's free, and you can use it to make phone calls almost anywhere in the world for just pennies. And if the person you're calling has it, you can call for free. eBay just bought the company a few months ago, so this is a big business, not just some guy writing code after his kids are in bed. Try it out before you start calling all your relatives around Christmas. Something to consider for outgoing long-distance calls for the church office, too. Now, one caveat, though, if you don't have a headset mic, you may get an echo, but that's easily solved with a cheap headset. Or, if you don't mind the echo, it allows you to use your computer, and it's compatible with Mac, Windows, and, I believe, Linux as a speakerphone. Check out Skype.com, that's S-K-Y-P-E dot com, for more information. Next week on Lutheran Weekly, we celebrate the Nativity of Our Lord by jumping to the other side of the fence and looking at Jewish evangelism with Steve Cohen and the Apple of His Eye Mission Society. Still looking for a news correspondent or three, so if you're interested in that, drop me a line. Contact information coming in just a moment. Speaking of which, I value your comments and questions. If there's something you like or don't like about this podcast, let me know. I love feedback, and I'm always looking to improve this production for our listeners. A lot of podcasts include a music section. Would you like to hear some of the Lutheran music out there, like one song per episode? We could do all kinds of different varieties. Let me know. One other announcement. Lutheran Weekly is now available via email. More than likely, you're listening to this via some kind of aggregator software like iTunes, iPodder, or the like. But if you know people who might be interested in subscribing but don't do the whole podcast thing, they can sign up to get it via email. Just hop over to lcmspastor.com slash podcast.html and you'll find a form there. Just enter your email address and every time I upload a new episode, you'll automatically get the show notes via email and a link to listen to the mp3 file. Well, that closes the book on another Lutheran Weekly. Remember that you can post comments on our forums at lcmspastor.com slash forum and ask questions of upcoming guests. Your questions will be read on the air during the interview. If you'd like to leave a voicemail to be aired on the show, you may call 206-339-7909 to leave a message. Thank you, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.